the stories that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Luke. There are a bunch of stories that are unique uh, to, um, to the Gospel of Luke uh, that he records that, from Jesus. And so um, we have been walking through various ones of them, and, and we camped out in Luke chapter 15 last week, and we're going to be there uh, for a couple weeks here because Luke chapter 15 is probably the most famous but also the, the deepest and the richest story that Jesus tells, I think. It's one that most people know about. It's the story of the prodigal son. And so we uh, introduced that last week as, in the context of that, of why Jesus told that story. It's because Jesus is hanging out with these people that the religious, re- religious leaders, the religious elite thought, why in the world would he hang out with people like that if he's a holy man? But Jesus begins to unpack his heart, God's heart, for people and for the world uh, through this story that, that God is, is, a, is a seeker, that God is looking for that which is lost. And he loves it, and he loves it when people find their way back to him, and there's rejoicing when they do. And so today we want to focus in just on the younger brother part of this in verses 11 through 24. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open up to Luke 15. We will be there in just a moment. If you um, were to summarize most popular, well-loved stories, news stories, songs, movies, musicals, um, they pretty much all have a very similar plot. The plot would go something like this, is that um, you get to go home to where you belong. Home is at the heart of so many of the things that we love the most. And I'll illustrate it by this. This is one of uh, a new story that just popped up, I think, yesterday or this morning. Little boy, I think, in this picture here with his little lollipop. You'll see him over there on his little tractor, his motorized tractor. Lived a couple of blocks from uh, the uh, Chicago, it's not Chicago, the (laughs) Chicago... I tried really hard to pronounce this word. The Chicago County Fair in Minnesota. I butchered that. I apologize to the people who live in Minnesota. Um, but anyway, he lived two blocks from the county fair, and he knew what was going on. His family said they were going to go see it. But he's out in the front yard driving his tractor around, and he decided he didn't want to wait. And so his family went inside while he was out driving his tractor around the yard, and all of a sudden they noticed it got very quiet. And, and he disappeared, and they got very anxious, of course, as your two-year-old would, would be gone from the yard. And so they immediately called 911, and uh, 10 minutes later they were informed that their little boy, Kenneth, had ridden his little tractor. Two-year-old boy had ridden his tractor to the county fair and was quite disappointed that they were not going to let him ride the rides before they sent him home. And so, uh, but the story of that which is lost being found at home and, and those who, who hunger for that and, and miss him and, and wanted him home is a story we can all relate to. Yesterday was the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. Now, I am a a space nut. I love those kind of things. And so I have been asking my family all week long if they would watch my favorite moon space movie, which is Apollo 13. And they just think I'm crazy. They don't want to waste their time on such frivolous things. And so this morning, I have a captive audience here. So we're going to watch it, okay? Well, actually, we're not going to watch it. We're going to watch a clip from it because if you remember the story of of Apollo 13... it's a, it's a couple of um, adventures after 11, which landed on the moon for the first time. And, and this was the crew that was supposed to land on the moon, but had some technical difficulties. And if there ever were technical difficulties, they had them. And so they end up not getting to land, but it's even uh, not sure if they're even going to make it home or not. And in the course of the movie, they show an interview, an old interview from Jim Lovell, that uh, he talks about the beauty and the value of getting home. So if you'll play that, please. Apollo 13 Commander Jim Lovell has more time in space, almost 24 days already, 
than any other man. And I asked him recently if he ever was scared. Oh, I've had an engine flame out a few times in an aircraft and was kind of curious as to whether it was going to light up again, things of that nature. But uh, they, they seem to work out. Is there a specific instance in an airplane emergency when you can recall fear? Uh, well, I tell you, I remember this one time, I'm, uh, I'm in a banshee at night in combat condition, so there's no running lights on the carrier. Uh, it was a Shangri-La, we were in the Sea of Japan, and my, my radar had jammed, and my homing signal was gone because somebody in Japan was actually using the same frequency, and so it was, it was leading me away from where I was supposed to be. And I'm looking down at a big black ocean, so uh, I flip on my map light, and then suddenly, zap, everything shorts out right there in my cockpit. All my instruments are gone, my lights are gone, and I can't even tell now what my altitude is. Uh, I know I'm running out of fuel, so I'm thinking about, uh, about ditching in the ocean, and I, I look down there, and then in, in the darkness, there's this, uh, there's this green trail. It's like a long carpet that's just laid out right beneath me, and it was the algae, right? It was that phosphorescent stuff that gets churned up in the wake of a big ship, and it was, it was, it was just leading me home. And now, if my cockpit lights hadn't shorted out, there's no way I'd have ever been able to see that. So, uh, you, uh, you never know what, what events are going to transpire to get you home. So if you want to come over this afternoon, we're going to watch that in my house. I don't care if the kids join me or not. We're going to watch it, okay? Um, but you never know what's going to get you home, right? We all resonate with that. Every time you see one of those stories on Facebook or the Internet of, of some soldier who surprises his family by coming home, I still cry at those, no matter how many hundreds of times I've seen those. There's something about home that all of our hearts resonate with, and that's why at the heart of every good story, every good news article, every good movie, there's something to do with home, someone getting to go back where they belong. Well, Christianity is basically a religion about going home. John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, Jesus would describe it this way when he would say, My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so... Would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. Jesus went home and he prepared a place for his people to come home with him. And so in a sense, we have been exiles since Genesis 3 when our first parents were kicked out of the garden. And in a sense, we've been homeless and, and we've been trying to find home. And the whole story of Jesus, the whole story that he's trying to communicate, especially in Luke chapter 15, is as people keep asking Jesus, why do you spend time with people like that? Why, why do you eat with them and, and visit with them and care about them? It's because Jesus had this drive that, that he knew from his heavenly father that he just knew he wanted to help them find their way home. And so this morning as we read Luke 15, uh, beginning in verse 13, what we're going to find is that um, this is a story about a young man who runs away from home because he's sick of home. He's just sick of it. He, he's sick of his dad. He's sick of his rules. He's sick, sick of everything. Yet you find that it's not long before his heart begins to hunger for home and he becomes homesick. And so the story begins, the young man rudely goes to his father and says, Dad, I don't want to wait for you to die before I get my inheritance, so go ahead and give it to me. The dad obliges, and he takes this valuable piece of land, and he sells it so that he'll have money to go have a good time in a faraway country, 
And it says this in verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and he set off for a distant country and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to, feed his, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and I'll go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring, bring it, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. What's going to drive our time this morning and our talk this morning is simply that little phrase when he came to his senses. Many of you know that essence of what that is about because you've prayed for it. You, you know a prodigal, you love a prodigal, and you pray for the day that they come to their senses. And so you know exactly what the father's heart longs for, and you know what you hope happens in the life of someone that you love. And so we want to ask the question this morning, first is, is how did he get there? How does the young man get from being so sick of home to being homesick but then we're going to ask, most importantly, what was it that changed that got him back home? Because the same things that got him home will get us back home when we are willing to follow his path. And so we just have to begin with the thought that, that people wind up in the far country because of wrong beliefs. The younger son in this story behaved the way he behaved because he had certain beliefs about his father. He had certain beliefs about the far country. He had beliefs about himself. And so because he believed those things, that dad wasn't worth staying for, uh, that dad was just holding me back, that the far country held such great promise for him, he acted upon those beliefs that he had in his head. And so the Bible will call this that, that when we go through that change of singing, you know what, I, I, I'm sick of the father to I'm homesick for the father, that that is not just a change of action, that is a change of mind. And Romans chapter 2 describes that as the renewal of the mind, the renewal of the heart. And it is critical if we're going to experience that and as we pray for that and work for that, that we must understand that the journey home always starts in the mind. That any change that you make, any repentance that you do that produces fruit for God, it always begins in your mind and how you think. And that's exactly what happens with this young man. Jesus said the thing that sets us free is truth, and that is critical because repentance is more than just conforming outward behavior to some external standard. Real biblical repentance and change happens when our thinking changes, and that begins to change our heart, and thus our actions begin to change in a permanent and more stable and sustainable way. And so 
Paul would say this in 2 Timothy chapter 2 as he talked to Paul, he talked, excuse me, as Paul talked to Timothy about how you engage people that you're desiring to see a change in their life. He says, opponents must be gently instructed. And what a beautiful instruction and attractive instruction that is, especially in our angry, rude, when it all costs kind of world today. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Paul wants Timothy to understand that if change is going to happen, it's not just forcing external uh, change into someone's life. There must be a coming to their senses. There's a knowledge-based thing, a changing of the mind that must happen. And so let's go to our young man and let's think about what was it that brought change to his life? What was it that made this sick-of-home kid hunger for home? And want to go back there. It was because he changed the way he was thinking. And he came to his senses. And, and I just want to show you five things quickly. We won't camp on any of them very long because I think they're quite evident as you see them. And, and they're applicable to us as we think about them. And so the first thing that he began to think about is this. Number one, I think the young man sensed the emptiness of the far country. The young man sensed the emptiness of the far country. I don't know if you've ever gone online or got a brochure or something and you got a hotel room or you got a, a, a condo or something like that. And, and then when you get there, you realize this picture that I just got is nothing like the real deal. All right. There's cockroaches on the real floor and there's not cockroaches in the pamphlet. OK, this is very different than what is advertised to me. And, and I think that's a little bit of what's going on with the sun. If you were to have gone uh, to the young boy and warned him about the far country before he left home, would he have listened to you? Probably not, because he had beliefs about what the far country was. He thought the far country was freedom. It was opportunity. It, it was a place for him to do everything he ever wanted to do without his dad hovering over him and controlling him. He thought that in order to be happy, he had to leave home. He thought the far country was, was full of fun and promise. And he bought into a lie. And it wasn't long before, after leaving home, and after leaving home, that he found out that he had been lied to. That the far country promised something on the brochure, but what it delivered was a lot of pain, a lot of loneliness, a lot of hurt, a lot of hopelessness. And so he's sitting there in a pig pen, and he comes to his senses, and the first thing he realizes is, this is not what I signed up for. There's an emptiness that the far country just simply isn't delivering to me. And Jesus, as he tells this story again, this story that just is everybody's story, it's all of our stories, that Jesus loves sinful people, but he hates sin because he knows what sin does to people. And just notice as you go through this story, and whenever I talk with kids about their decision for Jesus, we oftentimes read this story, and I try to just go step by step saying, you know what, he starts off, he's got everything, he's got hopes and dreams and, and ambition, and, 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 but what happens? The money runs out because he's not very good with it, and then all of a sudden the famine hits, things that are outside of his control, and so he's got no money and nobody will help him, and he's hungry, and no one will give him anything, and finally for a Jewish people to hear him working with pigs, which no offense if you work with pigs, but if for a Jewish person person, pigs were an unclean animal, for him to be feeding pigs, and more importantly, for the pigs to be being fed before he gets anything, is the lowest of the low. It's the lowest of the places Jesus could have taken this young man. And he realizes at the bottom of this, 
that I wasn't made for this, that there's a better story I can be living, that this far country is a lie. And so we discovered the emptiness of the far country. And, and I think when you and I, when we come to our senses about some change that needs to happen in our, our, our life, it begins there. When we realize that what I'm doing, this is just empty. It promised me something, but it's not delivering. And there's something better in the direction of my heavenly father. And so first he sensed the emptiness of the far country. Number two, he sensed the pointlessness of blaming. He realized that, you know what? This doesn't do any good for me to point fingers at other people. And he could have done that. And this is such a huge step for all of us, right? For me to own my own mistakes, to own my own sin is a big deal. And I highlighted that word I because that is the key to his change. He realizes the emptiness of the faraway country, but then he realizes, why am I here? And he could have said, you know what? It's my father's fault. If dad wasn't so fill in the blanks, whatever he thought dad might have been, or my older brother, he's just a hypocrite and he's self-righteous and he thinks he's all that. It's his fault. Or, or maybe it could have been the, the people of the country. Nobody will give me anything. It's their fault. But why was he where he was at? The young man comes to own I am here because I brought myself here. I made decisions. I am responsible for me. And so he made that life-changing admission that I have sinned. It's me. I am where I'm at because of me. And just as he saw the lies of the faraway country, he saw the truth of who he was, that I did this to myself. I've made these choices, and what a fool I have been. And so he saw that it wasn't, didn't do any good to blame other people. He owned it. And change always happens when we own our own responsibility in our life and in our situations. That leads to the third thing, that he sensed the wrongness of his rebellion. He realized not only have I, not only have I, have I done it, but he didn't say, you know what, I kind of messed up. Or, or I just got a little, little off track for a little while. He used that big, ugly word, he sinned. And that's a powerful word. And in fact, it's so powerful in our culture, we have eliminated it because we don't like the context of saying, I have sinned. That implies consequences. That implies guilt. That implies that I'm, I, I own this and, and that maybe there's an authority that I'm accountable to. And the young man is quick to own that. I have sinned against God. I have done things that have not honored God and I have sinned against my father. I have dishonored him as well. He owns the weight of that. He confesses his rebellion against a loving father. And so he comes to that place of saying, Father, I have done wrong against you. And in a lot of ways, it wasn't just the rules that he was disobeying. He was simply owning the fact that, Father, you are good, as we're going to see here in a second. But, Father, I've rebelled against your good heart towards me. And really, all of us, when we come to that place of saying, hey, this is where I'm at in my life and I need to change this, it's owning our own sin that is at the key to that. Owning that I have disrespected and dishonored a father, a heavenly father who loves me, who wants good for me, who seeks the best for me. And so the remorseful will say, all people sin, but the repentant will say, I have sinned. I, I personally have sinned. I have broken the heart of God. I've disobeyed against the heart and, and this, the compassionate love of God. And the difference is oftentimes the difference between staying lost or, or being found at home again. And that leads us to the fourth thing. Not only did he see the bad stuff in his own life, and that's an important part of it, 
But I think this is where it begins to turn. This is what brought him home. Because a lot of people realize, you know what, I have sinned. And they live their whole life in just the guilt and the shame of, man, I'm just, I'm a mess up. But the last two things I want to show you, I think, is what brought him back home. He, he, he sensed the goodness of life at home. He sensed the goodness of life at home, that there was something good to go back to, that his father was good. The kids sang the song earlier, you were a good, good father, and that's not just a catchy tune from Chris Tomlin. That's a truth, biblically, that, that he realized, he remembered, you know what, I used to think my dad was, was restrictive and had these rules, and I just didn't want to live there anymore. I was sick of it. But now I long to experience the goodness of my father. And I remember how good my father would treat his servants, and he treated everybody at home good. And I long to experience some of that goodness. Now, he knows that he, he, he thinks in his mind, well, I can't go back and be a son, but maybe I can just go back and I can be a hired hand and, and I can experience some of the goodness of my father because that goodness was real and it was tangible and he knew it was there. And finally, it leads us to this last thing. He sensed the goodness at home. And number five, he sensed the kindness of the father. You see, what spurned his journey home was not just the grumblings of an empty stomach. It was the memory of a loving father. If he had thought, my dad is critical, he'll throw me in jail or he'll kick me out, he probably wouldn't have gone back. But he remembered a dad that home was a place of kindness and dad was good and decent. And so he got up and he went home. And so I would just ask for you this morning to think through this process, these five things that you've just looked at with me, and just think about the son. It's not a complex story, and that's what I love about Jesus' stories. They're not hard to understand, but they can be very hard to apply. Because all of us, at times in our life, we end up in places where it's the pig pen. It, it, it's, the, it's the far country we bought into the lie. We thought, you know what, God, you say this, but I know better. And maybe it's in big ways or maybe it's little ways, but all of us are, God is always inviting us to come back home. But I, I would say over the years as a father, I have struggled most with two things in communicating with my kids, especially in moments when maybe they haven't always done the right thing. I have struggled with body language and with tone. Um, and you know what I mean by that? Like sometimes the tone with which I speak comes across harsh and critical. And I'm informed by that by my wife later that that wasn't very kind and gracious. And I thought, oh, I hate that. Because that's what, not what I was trying to say, but it came across. I was trying to say something loving, but I said it in a harsh tone, right? Or a body language, right? Think about this. You can say a lot with those body expert people that, um, like, they tell preachers, you can tell what people are thinking and going through. And so if their heads are down like this, it means they're praying. I don't know, I guess, I don't know, that's a joke. Um, um, that's a joke. But if, if, if you walk into a room and you know you've done wrong and the person greets you with this, that implies something, right? That implies, I know what you did, you're in trouble, and I'm not pleased with that. Or you can just do the, uh, the up in the arms not the touchdown, but this, right? If, if I was to stand before one of my kids with just this posture that communicates something, what am I going to do with a kid like you? That implies you're just not welcome very much into my heart. But the story that we read here is not this. It is not this. It is very much this. It is very much stinky, messy, broken, embarrassed son 
come home. You are welcome here. And that's the beauty of this story, that when you and I think about why should I go home, when I know that I have wandered, I know that I have rejected my father, I know that I have made an embarrassment of him and me, and I've sinned against others, and I've sinned against my God, um, the beauty of this story is just the response of the father that just invites us. Because there's a lot of people in the world that if you were to say, this is what I've done, they're going to give you a folded arm or they're going to throw their arms up in exasperation that, that why would you be so stupid? But that's not God. That's not the God that you see in this story. And so I would just ask you this morning, when you think of God, what do his arms look like before you? When you think of the God who loves you, what do his arms look like in your mind? A lot of us have a hard time seeing God like this. Because we know, just like the sun, we have the speech prepared. I know what I am. I know what I've done. I know what I've not been. And I don't deserve this. I deserve the other things. And so this story doesn't make sense in a lot of ways. A very fair and sensible ending to the story would have been that the son comes home and apologizes. And the father stops to think about it. And then he says, well, you know what? I'll let you go sleep out in the barn. You can eat with the servants. You can hang out there. But don't ever show up at my table again because you've done so much to us. And that's how most of the world works. But God isn't into fair. He's into grace. And it makes no sense, but the father treats the son like he never left. In fact, he treats him better than he probably should have. And so he gives shoes that were a privilege to wear as a son. And, and he gives a ring to show that, you know what, all my riches are yours, because that was like the, the debit card of the family. He'll give you robes to cover up the stains. And the most nonsensical part of the story is that the father pays for all of this. Whatever the son has done, the father pays to cover. And so I read this story from many angles, I guess. One, again, as I said before, that some of you pray this prayer, God, would you bring fill in the blank to their senses because my heart aches for them. My heart aches for them to come to their senses and to come back to you. And, and you know that and you pray that. And so I think just the thought that you pray that way, just know that your heavenly father, that's a godly quality. That's a godly prayer. So don't get discouraged in that because he prays the same thing that you do. But maybe you're on the other end of it and someone's praying for you. And you may have many responses and many reasons for why you are where you are. But I, I hope that you would just hear this, that you would see this, that you would say, you know what, whatever has been, my father stands welcome, welcoming and ready to receive me regardless of. And so I will swallow my pride and I will pick myself up and I will own my own sin and I will go home to my father who is good to me. And he will show me grace. And that's the beauty of this story. And so this morning, I would just invite you to stop and think about where am I at in this story? <laughs> am I living with a hard heart that is sick of home? As you think about your relationship with God, do you tend to just think, you know what, I know what God says, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just sick of him trying to control me. I just want to be me. Leave me alone, God. Maybe that's where you're at in the story. And that's just the attitude of your heart. Maybe you're at that kind of place in life where you're thinking, man, I've made those decisions and man, this is hard. I don't like where I'm at, but I don't know what to do. Or maybe we're at that place where we're on the journey home 
and that's an uncomfortable journey. And you're wondering, what's, what would God say if I came home? Uh, but I hope that you're, some of you are here today and you're at the place where you've come home and you've got the beautiful testimony, the beautiful story of God's grace to, tell, to share and to tell other people about. And so this morning, as we finish and we pray here, I just would ask for you to stop and think about, God, where am I at in this story and what would you have my next step to be in my walk with you?